you've just got to, to monitor it and look at where your your bleeders are um, and make sure that you can you can manage turn your lights off <laughs> like some things are simple um, other things are looking at your fridges looking at your ice machines looking at, at where you can stop the waste of, of electricity etc there are lots of reasons you might open a bar in Sydney Saving a Queensland rainforest and restoring land to the Kukuyalanji traditional owners is perhaps not the most obvious, but that's what Tom Bulmer is doing at Daintree, Sydney, in the much maligned but fast improving Rocks Precinct. It's a fascinating project. I'm keen to find out more. Tom, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's really great to have you on the show. Tell us about Daintree, Sydney. So, Daintree Sydney is really an initiative that comes out of the fact that, you know, after working 20 years in hospitality, just the amount of waste and, and the amount we, we take from the land, we, we really wanted an opportunity to, to give something back to the land. And so, with, with Daintree, we wanted not only to have sustainability, but what can we actually do to make sure that this world's still here for our kids? And yeah, I mean, that sounds very worthy, but a big project, like how do you, <laughs> how do you begin to tackle that? Look, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. Um, being in hospitality, there was a lot of sort of obstacles and, and things you have to really think through. Um, obviously, uh, the charities is really important. And with that respect, like we weren't in a position to, to consider opening our own charity, let alone teeing up with the, the local Indigenous tribes effectively. Um, we, we work with a, a project called Halfcut, who, lovely guy, Jimmy, um, Jimmy Halfcut himself, and he organises all the charity initiatives on the land and he speaks with the, the proper Indigenous communities as well to, to coordinate the charity arm. We focus on making sure we can raise money for them. Okay, amazing. So, as I understand it, you donate half your profits to Half Cut, and then they go on and use that, use those funds to purchase land to restore to the traditional owners, but also to undertake restoration projects in the Daintree rainforest itself. Is is that more or less the, the pathway? That's that's the main pathway. Um, not like the way we look at it is fifty percent of our rainforests are gone. Um, so why not give 50% of the profits um, back to to restoring them? Yeah, right. Well, that's a very neat formula, I guess. And, I mean, what is it about rainforests particularly that um, resonated with you, Tom? Well, I mean, for me, rainforests are the lungs of the world. Um, you know, this is about making sure that, A, it's that we, we still have good breathable air, but also making sure that these rainforests that still remain are actually going to be there. I mean, we forget that all our cities that lie on the water were fundamentally in forest areas, um, including the rocks, and that all this native land has been lost. We, we need to, to hold on to what's left. I mean, I, I love like my memories going into into the country um, to see see the family in Lakes Entrance and and being in those forests. Um, and when you when you go back there now, a lot of those are gone. Hey, you're a Gippsland boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> the family comes from that way. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, I love that part of the world. And as you say, I mean, yeah, apart from deforestation, so much of Gippsland has been um, severely impacted by bushfires. So it's, yeah, certainly, I guess, you know, it's interesting, these connections that you're trying to draw. I mean, how responsive do you find your customers who might just be, you know, thinking they're popping in for a drink and then they've got, um, you know, these broader messages that are, uh, you know, around them? Well, look, they're like they're honestly just overwhelmed. Like a lot of the time, they they, they come for the the Australian native ingredient cocktails and things like that. But they they look around, and the cha- the charity itself is explained on the wall. So there's an entire artwork by a local artist called Felix Saw, and we're slowly coloring that in for every hundred thousand trees that we plant. So th- and they just they literally look at the tally, and they're just like. This, they know that they're part of something greater than just having a drink. Um, it, it's, it's, it, honestly, it just makes people feel good. It makes people feel good that they're not only having the drinks they plan to have, but they're doing something while, while drinking. And how does it make you feel? It's like, honestly, if you sit back and look at it, which is pretty hard in December, it's amazing to be part of it. Um, you know, this was something that... That in in my with my family in Gippsland, we used to um, one of our great grandfathers actually ran a school for Aboriginal people, um, and it's just great to to do something a for the rainforest, but also be able to to have be a part of something that reinvests in in the local Indigenous tribes as well. How much money have you raised so far? So far, we've raised fifty two thousand. Um, and we haven't looked at December's tallies yet, but we're hoping that in the new year we can we can get that up to to a hundred thousand. Oh, it's it's really excellent. Um, and Tom, tell us about yourself. Like you said, you've been in hospitality for twenty years. What's your pathway been? Um, look, I, <laughs> twenty years in, there's there's been a lot. Um, I've always worked in in sort of rum bars and and hotels and and different things around australia and the world um i've just enjoyed the the lifestyle of of working through bars and and developing venues it's it's just something that i i love the social interaction of it i love social community and community values of it so it's been a lot of fun um but realistically it's just the nature of bars especially for an australian uh, are a place where people come together and it's always fun being part of that i saw you described on one website as a rum lord (laughs) (laughs) what's the what's the um connection to rum why does that drink particularly appeal to you look it's it's because um it's because Ultimately, rum is a, is a social spirit. It's it's a cultural spirit. Um, when you look beyond Australia's borders and you look towards the Caribbean, rums are defined by the culture and background of people, uh, and that pretty much defines the style of, of rum. And, and that really spoke to me for for what you know the in terms of spirits. Uh, whiskey can is from Scotland. You know, gin we we traditionally say from London. But rum was made by everyone. So it's it's fascinating to look at. It's really interesting because I guess especially where you are in the rocks, I'm sure there's been, you know, a lot of rum drunk in that precinct in early colonial times. Um, I mean, tell us about the rocks because it's 
I mean, it's obviously got a lot of, um, yeah, it, it's steeped in that colonial history, those those early settler times, um, you know, with all the complexity that goes along with that. Um, you know, in recent decades, I think it's been a bit of a tourist trap, you know, it's um, Ugg boots and opals, uh, but it's definitely being revived. Like, tell us about your connection to that area and, and what it's like as a place to run a bar. Well, first off, I just want to say after COVID, like Ugg boots are my friend. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Maybe we all spent too much time in them. <laughs> no, look, the, the Rocks is an enchanting precinct. It, it really is beautiful when you can when you see it. And, and over COVID, you, we did see just the bare bones of, of what the Rocks can be. Um, the land itself, the, the beautiful back alleys. Um, we actually located in the in this old sailor's home building and we've actually got a rum bar, a little enchanting rum bar upstairs as well called The Keel. But it's, it's about what we want these areas to be going forward. Um, at the end of the day, there are, is going to be tourism by the harbour and, and the Rocks is definitely part of that. But the nature of tourism has changed in itself. People are seeking out the ability to to drink better and, and drink more responsibly. Um, we see that in accommodation as well and, and in terms of where people choose to stay and making sure they can stay sustainably. The, the rocks will always have its, um, shall we say, element of, uh, of bootleg and booze. Um, but it's, it's about catering to, to both markets within the precinct. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, is Daintree the sort of place that people s- sort of stumble upon? Um, hopefully not literally <laughs> after some bad drink somewhere else, but um, or is it a destination? And and what's the sort of, um, I mean, I know we're still in an interesting period in terms of tourism recovery, but what's the balance between locals and tourists? Um, I would say it's, it's uh, a 50-50 for us, which is... On, we have an access through George Street for, for the Rumba, and that tends to get that walk-or-buy traffic and, and a few people having having a lot of lot of drinks. But Daintree is actually located quite quite nicely right next to the parkland and the old cabman's cottage. So the Bly and Barney Reserve is actually the point of access for, for Daintree, Sydney. So it's normally tends to be people that are just – Want like it's it's guess the mood that people are in. If you're if you're sort of sitting in a parkland and then you see a bar next to it, it's just a very relaxed sort of oh wine and cheese <laughs> sort of sort of feel for the people that walk in. Um, a lot of sticky beakers, a lot of people walking by as well. But um, we we've started to see a lot more more dates coming through. So a lot of people bring the. Um, partner on a first date and saying, um, "Oh, look, this is this is the rainforest. I thought we'd come here. I try some native ingredients and and give back." Yeah, I love that. That's so. Yeah, it sounds so lovely. So I noticed that you recently had a native martini masterclass. Can can you talk about this whole approach to um, indigenous ingredients and drinks? Definitely. So one of the one of the premises of of start of starting. The concept of Daintree was why should we save the rainforest? Um, and we were, we were just thinking about there's the obvious of, of why we want to save it, but 
the thing is people don't attach themselves to what they're saving. So we wanted to start focusing on native ingredients and start making sure that people understand that this is something that's only made in Australia and we can only have this if we maintain our, our natural balance. So highlighting native ingredients and having masterclasses where we we actually met with a local foragers as well in, in a previous masterclass. Um, but it, it just highlights what Australia has and, and we have so much um, that people really enjoy sitting sitting back and, and learning about new ingredients in a martini, um, in a foraging masterclass. And we're going to be talking about Australian spirits and Australian wines as well going forward. Mm, that's so nice, so nice to draw those connections. I mean, tell me about some of the native martinis. Give us a couple of examples. Well, so the first step is the martini trick is it's two things. So A, it's the garnish, but also it's about um, choosing a product that, that highlights Australian produce as well so the vermouth itself that we that we used in in a couple of them actually has a lot of our local botanicals muntries things like that in there um little sea cucumber in the dirty martini and then we we balance we counterbalance that so for one example the dirty martini what we did was we we used a sea cucumber vermouth a uh, a tasmanian ocean style gin uh, and then we balance that out with um, a, a brine that we that we home balance with with Australian uh, mountain pepper and a couple of other little spices and local things that we we try from our garden. Wow, that is so speaking my language because I mean yeah, as you speak about it and you think dirty martini Australia, it's like. Yeah, olives just seems a bit beside the point when we've got all these um, other ingredients that, you know, belong here, I guess. That's it. I mean, we definitely put an olive on the side. Don't worry about that. But we do spice it in in that mountain pepper brine. Yeah, that's so interesting. So are you um, getting in some of these sort of infusions or are you doing a lot of um, concocting in the bar itself? We're doing a bit of both. Um, we're, we're always trying new, new Australian products, um, as long as they are actually highlighting Australian things. Um, but we're also just starting pickling different things, started um, ordering in new, new Australian spices and flavours. Um, we speak to uh, uh, Something Wild, which is a, a native forager, and we just see what they've got and, you know, we'll try it, see what we can do with it and, and try and find, a, a, I guess, what you'd call a counterpoint between what customers are used to and, and putting new ingredients inside those drinks. So, Tom, you know, you've been in the industry a couple of decades. You must have um, seen a lot and I'm sure you're a mentor to people who are coming into the industry now. What changes have you seen over the years, you know, culturally, I guess, in terms of bar work? Um, Look, it's been – it's changed considerably. I mean, we're talking 20 years, but I – Guess the, the the mentality change um, is is the big one. Um, obviously, there's there's some COVID stuff in there, but the biggest thing I've seen is that people respect this industry as a career now. Um, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, it was straight up: you finish uni, um, you work for a, in a bar for a little bit, and then you've got to go get a real job. Um, now there's a lot more of that London culture and, and a lot more 
alcohol and, and professionalism to the point that people understand that this is a real career um, and you could do this for a life. It's mm, really interesting. I mean, do you think the rise in non-alcoholic beverages has contributed to that? Uh, I think that it's definitely, definitely an important part of it. Um, our, I, it's just crazy that we didn't get there sooner with non-alcoholic cocktails and and um, and spirits and etc. Considering how many people choose not to drink. Um, but that's just a part of a culture. Like we just have to appeal to everyone. At the end of the day, non-out cocktails are definitely um, where we, an area we needed to to get into more. And having lifestyle venues was was is a really important part of that. So we, I don't think we're there yet on on exactly how far we need to go. But um, I think it's a really interesting part of it. Yeah, I mean, what's a non-out co- cocktail that you're loving at the moment? Um, honestly, I, <laughs> I've, I've been pl- just playing around in, in the garden. Um, I, I tried a, a Davidson Plum soda. Um, so we, we made a reduction with Davidson Plum, um, a little bit of Muntry, which is like almost like a cherry flavor. And it's just delicious. Mm, so good. And, I mean, we know that um, hospitality makes a really good margin on alcohol like from a business point of view does the non-alc side of things is that a challenge or is it easy to to work into a business model it's it's easy to work into a business model but the problem with the non-alcoholic spirits is that the margins on on buying a non-alc spirit compared to making it yourself just doesn't add up so, at the end of the day, it, it really is a difficult market to to maintain um, because I, the prof, profits on on alcohol are good, but wages are ever increasing right now. So, it's it's a double edged sword on on when you're making non out cocktails. The question is, can you create a, a point of difference relevant enough to the consumer to to either make it enjoyable or, or make it um, worth their time. Mm. So are you saying are you saying you wouldn't necessarily purchase non-alcoholic spirits because of the margin on those? Like you wouldn't be able to pass that on. You, you might as well make, as you're speaking about, more of a soda type thing in-house. Is that what you're saying? I, th- I think if customers want particular non-alcoholic spirits, then I, I'm always happy to stock them and try new things. Um, but when it comes to choosing what you want to put on a menu, it's really tough to to create um, a menu that includes those non-alcoholic spirits compared to what you might otherwise make for a customer. I mean, putting putting passion fruit and pineapple with some soda in a glass um, is is something that p- people will ask for and want, or they want lychee, or they want basic non-alcoholic flavors. Um, it's rare to see the consumer that wants non-alc spirits. Um, I think there's a real growth market in the in the non-alc whiskey um, and and gins and things like that. But other things, I just un- unless we see a better vocabulary of flavour, I don't see the consumer asking for it. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I mean, I know personally, if I want a non-alcoholic drink, I won't be 
wanting to replicate an alcoholic drink. I'll want something that's, yeah, just stands on its own terms. But that's just me. It's definitely a, an area that I think we're going to continue to see so much development in and it'll be really interesting to watch um for me as a consumer for sure but i'm sure for you as a business owner too yeah look i mean at the end of the day we've got to give people what they want um i i actually really have enjoyed um trying a lot of different things neat um as for the from the non-alc spirit uh, area my per like my personal sort of favorite thing is is seeing this um aperol spritz uh non-alcs uh, are coming out now and that's, that is something that I just think is beautiful and people love. Mm, that sounds like it's speaking my language as well. A hundred percent. Like, <laughs> and everyone asks, are these actually alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Because, like, I'm pregnant. Um, so it has been really interesting to see those sorts of things come forward, things that people could otherwise not produce in terms of flavour. Mm. Um, so, Tom, I know that uh, other sustainability initiatives are a really big part of what you do at, at Daintree Sydney. Can you talk about some of those environmental um, pledges that you've made? Yeah, definitely. Well, look, I mean, first off, we, we need to recognise that hospitality is, is, very, is a very wasteful industry at times. Um, and when we talk about sustainability, it's twofold. Like, Yes, we need to improve our our waste management um, and and our usage, but we also need to recognise the fact that we're we're talking about a reduction, not about a renewal. So we can only ever achieve more, and and that's the real thing that uh, I find people have have struggled with because people look at the concept of sustainability in bars and they think this is too much for me, um, whereas they need to think. Not in terms of you have to do everything, but just get started. <laughs> um, and so what we've been doing is looking at different levels of, of waste, whether it's water, electricity, um, you know how much how much goes in recycling bin, how much goes into your general waste, um, and and just realizing that there's a lot of ways that everyone can improve. Um, making sure that you know the taps aren't left on or that you don't have any leaks, making sure that your electricity use is re- relevant to your to your to your venue size. I mean that that alone was was a real eye opener. Um, we we realised that a lot of hospitality venues are actually using equivalent electricity of some stadiums uh, per square meter. Whoa! Uh, so what yeah. do you do to reduce that? You've just got to, to monitor it and look at where your your bleeders are, um, and make sure that you can you can manage. Turn your lights off. <laughs> like some things are simple. Um, other things are looking at your fridges, looking at your ice machines, looking at at where you can stop the waste of of electricity, etc. Um, like for instance, we're we've plant we're planting a massive garden within Daintree, uh, the bar, and we've got a we're putting a, a beautiful garden outside with our herbs, uh, but that's going to take a lot of water. So we we took out the bottoms of the ice wells and we put in watering cans. And so now the staff begrudgingly um, take that watering can at the end of the night and go out and water the garden. <laughs> that's so good. It's so simple. <laughs> but I, I think it often is those really simple initiatives. I mean, I know speaking 
doing stories on sustainability, like fridge seals are a big one. Like just replacing the seals on your fridge can save so much power. Yeah. So. And at the end of the day, electricity isn't cheap anymore. Like we should care about this. Yeah, well, it, it isn't cheap and it probably shouldn't be unless, you know, you're generating it yourself, which um, is, yeah, is another thing that some people are able to do. Well, this, this is really interesting um, side topic is the fact that not enough bars are using clean energy in their venue. They're not looking at their energy bills and thinking, hey, I need to use renewable energy. Um, and then to top that off, even the energy you're choosing to use probably isn't actually running to your venue. Uh, if you're choosing solar in a nighttime economy business, then I can hands down tell you you're not getting solar energy into your business. You're, you're still using coal. Yeah, uh I mean, power markets are pretty complicated, so I'm not going to dive into deeply, but I feel like if you, I mean, like I buy green power for home and it's not that I then think I'm getting a different like cable that's into the home that's all like green and bird and animal and forest friendly, but I feel like I'm investing in green power. So hopefully it's the same, even if you're turning the lights on at night. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely getting there, but these like, it's just, I guess... Without delving too deeply into it, um, it, it is about just ultimately looking at the energy you're using in a, in a venue and making sure, especially when you're closed, um, making sure that the energy requirements of the business aren't uh, quite high. Oh. Well, it's, it's amazing, you know, when you've got this motive, you're donating money, I suppose, you know, every dollar saved is more money that you're able to put towards this project that's really important to you and to the planet. So, there's, um, yeah, like wide, wider implications. Yeah. Well, the, the, the way we look at it is if we reduce all the waste in the venue and then we plant all these trees, that we're not only going to be a, a, a waste reduction sustainable venue, we're going to be a renewing Australia venue i love the ambition um tom let's finish with the drink that you would serve me it's a hot january day in sydney and i'm really thirsty i roll up to daintree maybe i've sat in the park for a while and sunned myself and i need something refreshing what are you going to make for me i mean you, you already brought up the rum i'm making your daiquiri that's just happening <laughs> <laughs> but what i what i'd probably do is is throw some kwandong reduction in there and use uh, husk tumble northern new south wales tumble gum agricole rum and basically that's going to be a really uplifting simple flavor some cold pressed lime juice uh, and just served in an ice cold glass. Yum! Thank you. I would love to see that um, being pushed towards me across the bar. Uh, Tom, so good to chat to you. Thank you so much for sharing the story of Daintree Sydney. And yeah, all the best with all your great projects. Great. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate your time. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.